you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us as we search what you would have us to see from this section. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jude, chapter 7. Uh, chapter 7, yes. I'm going to create six more, seven more chapters in this book just for the fun of it. Verse 7. <laughs> Up to this point, we've been talking about how uh, we looked at... Uh, the people, he's, we know he's talking toward Jewish people because he's talking about the history of the Jewish people coming out of Israel. Uh, he talked about the angels not keeping their first estate, which we talked a lot about the last time we met, <laughs> and uh, how that is misused and how it is not uh, looked at correctly. So starting at verse 7, even in Sodom and Gomorrah that, and the cities about them in that like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. We're going to stop there. So here we have this. He's referring back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Not sure if you all remember when, when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, the entire valley was destroyed, not just those two cities. The entire valley that that they were sitting in were destroyed. And if you read, read the story of Lot being taken out of the city, he goes, I can't keep going. And he goes, can we go stay in that little town right there? Will that little town be spared? And then we'll get up to the mountains. We'll get out of here. And the angel said, all right, we'll spare that one little city. And the, other than that, that entire community, that entire valley, was wiped out and we don't know what it looked like what it was uh, before that so Sodom and Gomorrah and that entire village were destroyed because as he says they were given over and they start with fornication and this is very interesting that everything that leads eventually to the homosexuality and strange flesh that they're talking about will start with fornication being accepted just as America did and Greek and the Romans and every other nation that falls into this direction, fornication gets accepted with no problems. And then if fornication is accepted, then it starts moving to the other uh, sexual perversions that are out there, homosexuality, and then the whole gambit of sexual sins, of which homosexuality is usually the next one and then goes into everything. When the Supreme Court said that homosexuality should be allowed and was not, against, you know, was not against the Constitution. Immediately, if you paid any attention to it, people started talking about every other sexual perversion and saying, well, if that is okay, why can't we do? And we had people suing to marry their dogs and their cats and their horses and their and children and everything else out there because once you say there is no rule, where do you draw the line? And this is the problem with Sodom and Gomorrah and the sexual sins that are out there is once you break God's standard that marriage is what is correct between a man and a woman and you break that standard, where do you draw the line? Sin always demands more evil. Always. And if you've ever had a place where you've had a problem with a particular sin, you know that that's, that's the way it is. If you're an alcoholic, you start out, you're, you, you didn't start out as an alcoholic. You started out being a social drinker and getting away with it. And then to get the same buzz or the same light feeling, you had to add more and more 
and more, and you come to that point where you need it all the time just to feel whatever it is you were feeling might be nothing or actually feeling whatever buzz you were trying to feel. Same thing with drugs. The body gets used to these things, and sex and all these other sins have the same problem. You know, if you're living outside of God's standards, it demands more. And we see it in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God says, okay, they have gotten so bad that he judged them. All right? And so we're looking at our world. What has God done in each nation that has come to this point? And there have been many, many great nations that have come to the point of homosexuality and all the other sexual perversions that go along with it. And God judges and brings those nations down. That happened to Rome, it happened to, to Greece, it happened to Babylon, it happened to Egypt. It's happened over and over throughout the years. What we are looking at in America right now is not new. And I really get irritated when people go, well, you know, this is new, it's never been seen before. You know, God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, he's got to judge us. Well, yes, he's got to judge us, but he's already judged other nations for the same sins, including Israel. Israel, on more than one occasion, had problems with homosexuality, all right? And so we see it over and over again. It's not a new problem. It's not, there's nothing, as Ecclesiastes told us, there's nothing new under the sun. Everything that's going on has happened before, and, you know, people do not know history. They have not read their Bible. There's all kinds of examples in the Bible of these things happening. And... You know, the sad thing is that these sexual perversions become violent at various times. The study in the story in Judges, at the very end of Judges, you know, is on today's schedule, where they went after the Levite because they wanted to know him. Same thing that happened in Sodom, all right? Over and over again. And we, every once in a while, you'll hear the news talk about people, you know, people being surrounded by these homosexuals and being dragged out of their houses and abused. It's not abnormal for this abuse to be coming, coming out. And we see it in the scriptures. We see, hear it in the news, not very often, but because they don't want to report it, because that would be bad, bad publicity for something that they're trying to say is a good thing. But we see it over and over, and the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was judged by God. And he's saying here that they're an example of the suffering of the vengeance of eternal fire. What is he referring to? The fact that hell is eternal. All right? The punishment in hell is an everlasting punishment. There are many people that have the idea that, number one, there is no hell. The Bible very clearly teaches that there is hell. There's another group of people that will tell you, well, that would be so cruel. A loving God would never punish somebody for eternity so they believe in annihilation. You go to hell and you get burnt up and have to suffer for a short period of time and then it's over. And you know, I'd like to think that way, you know, because that would make hell a lot, not that bad a place to go to. Just suffer for however long it takes for your spirit to burn up and you'd be, be done with it. But that is not what is taught. Hell is an eternal punishment because hell was designed for the angels that fell. Lucifer and the fallen angels were the ones that are supposed to be inhabiting hell. Men who have rejected God 
will go to hell and get their choice. And, you know, this is one of the things you want to remember. And you're talking to somebody and they'll say, well, God will never send somebody to hell. They're right. He won't. He'll give them what they asked for. They rejected Jesus and he's going to give them what they wanted. Because imagine what it would be. Would heaven be heaven if you were forced to go there when you didn't want to know God? Heaven itself would become hell. You know, to have to spend time with a God that you don't want to have anything to do with. You know, and that would ruin heaven for everybody else. So God has a place for those who reject him. If they reject the salvation that Jesus offers them, they will be given what they desired. And that will be the, the rejection of God. And they will be sent into hell, given what they wanted, to suffer for eternity. Now, and this is the thing that we need to be able to understand for people, because there are so many people, that go, and I've heard them, well, I'm just going to go to hell and party with my friends. No, no, that's not the picture of hell. Hell is eternal isolation. Solitary. You know, working at the prison, the worst thing we can do to an, to an inmate is put them in solitary. Where the only person they see is the guy checking to make sure they're in their cell. And they don't usually talk to them you know, when they're in there. That's the worst thing that can happen to a prisoner is to be put in solitary. And hell will be eternal solitary confinement with burning fire, a conscience that's burning, burning you up. Uh, you know, as it says, the worm that turns in your brain, you're gonna, you know, can you imagine what it would be like to be in hell? We've all experienced our conscience pricking us and giving us problems. Here on earth, we can get rid of it. We can confess, we can repent, but in hell, there is no release from that consciousness that is telling you, you were wrong. And there, every bit of it says, you're here because you deserved it. You, you rejected God, and now you are here. The rich ruler in the story of the, the rich man and, and Lazarus, he's in hell. And he was saying, Father Abraham, can you just send Lazarus with a drop of water because I am so thirsty. I just want a drop of water. He felt the pain. He felt the thirst. And then he knew that his brothers were going to be there with him. He said, Some, send somebody else to go see them. You know, tell them. And they said, they've got the law and the prophets. You know, how bad is hell? We really have to understand that hell is a place that we don't want to see anybody go to. You know, uh, you know people go, well, I've gone through hell on earth. No, you have not gone through anything close to hell on earth. You may have had a hard time. You may have lived miserably but you have not gone through hell because hell is complete and utter aloneness, complete and utter punishment. And we need to get a picture of what hell is like to motivate us to be able to share with others. You know, I hate them. I've, heard, I've actually heard Christians, well, I hope they go to hell. I'm going, you are absolutely crazy. I don't want anybody to go to hell. You know, I have suffered from gout pain. I don't want anybody to suffer from gout. And that's nothing like hell. But it sure is painful. All right? I don't want anybody to have to suffer from gout. And I definitely don't want to see anybody go to hell. Yeah. And this is what should motivate us to fully get a glimpse of what hell is like. And it is eternal in its punishment. And people will be going there to spend eternity. 
because they rejected God, because God has created the conscious beings to be eternal. Not eternal past, but eternal forward. When we die physically, it does not end our existence. We have an existence either with the Father in heaven or without the Father, without the Father's love in hell. And this is the thing about it. You know, so many people think that Satan is trying to build a kingdom in hell. Hell was designed for him to be a prisoner. He is not the ruler of hell. He is a prisoner of hell. And David told us in the scriptures that even if he descended into hell, God was there. And people will go, well, God's not in hell. Yes, he is, but he will not find his love and his comfort and his mercy there. You will see only his righteous, holy judgment. You know, and it's hard for us to be able to understand that. Because we're, sometimes even we as Christians forget that God is totally righteous and holy. And what do we usually have the problem with when we're living in sin? Is the holy, righteous judgment part of God as he comes around us and we're going, I don't stand up to, I don't stand up to him. I cannot meet his, his desire. And what do we do? We feel guilty. And because we haven't confessed our sins, we try to get away from him because we haven't confessed our sins because his righteousness and his holiness brings conviction. And when they're in hell, his righteousness and holiness will bring conviction. And they can't get away from it. They will just know that they are where they belong. That they deserved what they got. And I keep saying hell, but technically, the lake of fire is the everlasting part. Hell is not everlasting. Hell is the holding cell until they get to the white throne judgment. And then God will cause cast death and hell and the, and the fallen into the lake of fire for eternity. So there is a slight difference. The punishment is still the same, but hell is temporary. I've said this before. It's kind of like the difference between jail and prison. Jail is a short-term thing that you go to while you're waiting for trial, and then you go to prison, which is the long-term state. If you go to hell, you're obviously going to. You're yeah, if you're in hell, you're going, to, you're going to the lake of fire. The question is, have you recognized that you're a sinner and asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior? If you've done that, then you are covered by his grace and you will be in heaven. I still think that sometimes I'm missing something. There. You have been filled with the idea that you have to somehow earn, earn your salvation, and well, we can't I, do that. If we fully understand that it is only by grace, then it doesn't matter what I do because I can't earn it in the first place. And if I can't earn it, I can't lose it because I never earned it in the first place. And this is the hard thing, and I know that there's so many churches that teach other, teach other things, that you can lose your salvation. If you're bad enough, you can lose your salvation. And I know some very good Christians that believe that way, and they don't understand God's grace. I cannot earn my salvation. There is no way I can unearn something I could not earn in the first place. And they don't understand that. And I know the verses they'll use, and I'll know all this stuff, now, I will say, if somebody is not living in a way that is Christian and being improving in their walk with God, then they may have to look and say, do I know God? All right? But that's your only question. Have I truly, truly believed? And this is what I've said over and over again. 
I'm a planner, I'm an organizer. I always have two, five, you know, two, three, four, five, six plans in, in place. Just in case something doesn't work, I can automatically switch over to plan B. C, D, E, F, G, all the way to whatever. But when it comes to salvation, I do not have a plan B. If Jesus is not who he says he was, if Jesus is not who he says he is, if he has not forgiven me totally by grace, I have no hope. I have no second plan. You know, well, and I met people, well, well, maybe Jesus isn't it, so I'm going to have a little bit of Buddha, and I'm going to have a little bit of Krishna, I'm going to have a little bit of Muhammad. If you're doing that, you haven't put your trust in Jesus because you don't understand. It's an all-or-nothing situation. He is either who he says, my Savior, the one who paid the debt, who's given me a gift, or he's not. And I am putting, I am all in <laughs> on Jesus. If he is not who he says, I'm in trouble at death. The only good news I have is I have been so blessed in this, in this lifetime that I know that he's who he says he is, and that he is going to be my savior and that I have heaven to look forward to. I, do not have, I don't have a doubt in my mind. Do I have a perfect life? No, but I have had a blessed life where I know that God is in control and I have had a peaceful life where he's given me the peace that passes understanding that he said he's going to give me. And I've had a, the conversations with him and the, and, the, and the walk with him. I know that I know that he is who he says he is. And because he says he's given me a gift, I know I have that gift. And again, what is a gift? Something somebody gives to you that usually you don't deserve it. You know, if you deserved it, it's really not a gift. It's some kind of payment. But God gives us a gift that we do not deserve. And if we truly believe that he is who he says he is, that we're sinners and we accept that gift, we are saved. Now the question is, do we truly believe? And that is only known between you and God. But I do not doubt my salvation because I know that I know that I'm a sinner and that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my only way. And I understand and I'm sorry for, everybody, for anybody who's been in a church that teaches you have to do things to keep your salvation. And that's a sad way to get, get your mind polluted because it is a sad place to be. To always doubt have I been good enough? Have I done enough good things? Have I, have I, you know, how would, you know, to be able to lose your salvation, you know, you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you see something that gives you a bad thought and you crash your car before you have a chance to report or repent. <laughs> Whether that bad thought was you're angry at the dr other drivers, you saw something that made you lust, you, whatever it might be, and you crashed before you even had a chance to recognize that you just sinned. You know, what a sad, unreliable un way to live. That God is some kind of Indian giver that says, okay, I'm going to give you eternal life. Oops, up. No, you're not. You're, you didn't live it up to I'm going to take away your eternal life. That, that makes no sense. It's either eternal life or it's not eternal life. And everywhere in the scripture says that he gives us eternal life. And that, by its very definition, means that if I'm his, I'm going to heaven. Now, the question is, if I'm not his, then I never had eternal life in the first place. 
But if I'm his, I have eternal life. And I need to live in the comfort of that truth. If you are somebody who's suffering from the idea, do I have eternal life? I will recommend reading the book of Ephesians, and especially chapter 1 that has different verses or some statements of who you are in Christ. I am redeemed. I am his. I am uh, forgiven. I am his child. I am, you know, I, if you have any trouble with it, read Ephesians. Memorize Ephesians if you have to. And really get to understand who you are in Christ with all the forgiveness of, that's involved in it. Because if you really begin to understand who you are in Christ, you will lose all that I, the, I doubt of, are, am I saved? And you're going, I have been sealed. I have been made his. I have the righteousness of Christ. And this is the thing that we have to understand. In all of those verses in Ephesians, it is not something that I do. I am. It is what I have become. Because God does the work. And we need to really begin to understand that all of the work is him. And that he does it. And it doesn't matter what I do or don't do. Because God is there to give me a gift. And I've had lots of people, well that just means people can go out and sin. I'm going, if people can go out and sin without any conviction, they don't know God in the first place. Plain and simple. If you think you can go out and sin just because you're forgiven and eternally forgiven, then you have a problem between you and God in the first place, that you don't know him. Well, you know what, God, I, you give me eternal life. I'm just going to go and live like hell because you gave me eternal life. That is not the attitude a person that is his comes up with. When I sin, I get convicted. Now, it doesn't mean I always repent right away. <laughs> But I get convicted. I cannot sin without conviction. And in hell, they will be convicted for eternity of the sins that they had done. That is going to be a pretty harsh penalty that they're going to have to go through and, and be able to exist before God in that punishment. And I had planned on going through a lot of the different verses, but we'll just go through a couple of them. Revelation 14 11. And the smoke of their torments ascended up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image, whosoever received the mark of his name. And this talks about that white throne judgment. They will be there forever with no rest. That would be bad enough in and of itself. How many times is the only thing that keeps you going is the fact that you can go take a rest from it. You might not even sleep very nice or calm, but you can get at least a little rest, an hour or two, some kind of, some kind of rest in your, you know, for it. In hell, no rest. Uh, Revelation 20, starting at verse 10. And the devil in, that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophets are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on, the, on it, from whose face the earth and heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and, other, and another book was opened, and it was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. 
And the sea gave up her dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead that which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which was, again, a torment day and night. So apparently hell has a form of time in it, you know, because it says day and night. And they have no light, so I don't know how they're going to measure day and night. Uh, because there is no light in hell. There is no, there's a fire that burns without burning. And I can't even imagine that. I mean, when we hear the descriptions of hell, it's hard to picture. How can somebody burn without burning? How can there be a day and a night when there is no light? And we know that it's eternal. There will be a full sense of time in it. Now, in heaven, we don't have that time that time and everything is in, in, in eternity. In hell, it lasts for eternity, but they have a sense of time involved. The thing about this is we know that heaven is going to be greater than anything we can imagine. Hell is going to be worse than anything we can imagine. And that's going to be the hard thing because we can get a picture of hell that is terrible. And yet whatever we picture for hell is nothing compared to what hell is. And this is the scary thing because heaven is going to be so much greater than anything we can picture. Colors brighter than we can ever imagine, uh, taste better than anything we can imagine, uh, feelings that are sharper than anything that we can imagine. And God tries to describe heaven to us in our words. <laughs> and I think he's doing the same thing with hell. He's trying to describe hell in something that we might understand. The idea of burning and then burning for eternity. Is it some kind of physical, literal burning? I don't know. Is it something like phosphorus that where you're burning and can't, can't, don't actually burn, most likely? Could it be some form of chemical burning that, you know, for eternity? I'm not going to speculate on all of that. All I know is that God says it's a place I don't want to go. You know, and how bad that is, I don't want to speculate how it happens. But the biggest thing I'm bringing up is it is an eternal punishment that people choose. And the Bible is very clear that it is eternal. It does not end. And this is why people take comfort. You know, well, I'm just going to have, have all my friends, so I'm going to party down there. Well, no, there won't be any partying down there. You're going to be in isolation. It says that there, you know, clearly tells us that there's torment day and night. It'll end sometime. No, it will be eternal. God created us to be eternal beings. Not eternal into the past, but eternal into the future. Uh, and so we have a destination. The angels were created to be eternal beings from their beginning point to the future. They had at some place, they had some kind of choice because Satan and a third of the angels fell. At some point, the angels had a choice and they, a third of them chose badly. In this world, human beings right now have a choice. And for a little time on this world, we have a choice. And it determines our eternal destination. And I'm looking forward to getting to heaven and not being tempted and not having a sin nature and not sinning. And we made our decision and God says, okay, now, now, you're, now you've got your eternal home and you won't sin anymore. 
Now, those who go to hell, I guess they'll desire to sin. I don't know if there's any sin in hell or not, but they're going to desire to sin. And that could be hell in and of itself with the desire to be able to do bad things and not get, not get your desires met. That could be an added part of hell, the temptations that will never be fulfilled. And then you're, it's, it tells us in the Old Testament that the worm is there, the conscience is going to burn and with you in hell for eternity. I'm here because I deserve it. I made bad decisions and I chose to not accept God. And even worse, when they stand at the white throne judgment and see that their righteousness was meant nothing, they rejected the righteous king who is judging them and know that they could have had a gift if they had just accepted that gift that they rejected. That has got to be the worst thing, knowing that I'm there because I rejected God and be eternally in hell knowing that you're there because you rejected. And I believe every one of them will be shown at the White Throne Judgment every time they rejected the gospel message. For some people, it might just be once or twice. Some people, especially those that live in America, it might be hundreds of times that they rejected Jesus. And they will know that when they go to hell, they're there because they rejected the message. And it's going to be a harsh time for them because they're going to have every memory of every time that they rejected God. And we'll be in heaven knowing, thank you, God, I accepted you. I took your gift. And I'm getting greatly blessed. We will have suites of rooms in heaven. When he talks about mansions, you know, don't, don't get into the English, American English idea that you're getting this great big mansion on a hilltop. I love that song, I've got a mansion on a hilltop, it's only a lie. <laughs> a mansion is literally a suite of rooms in something. So we have in God's you know, heavenly dwelling rooms. Now, how many rooms? I don't know. Will the rooms be related to what we did on this world you know, for him and be part of our reward? Quite possibly. But Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. The place he's preparing for us is the one that he has prepared for us by his grace. Now, the decorations and everything might be part of our works, but he has created a suite of rooms for us to be able to exist in heaven. Now, how it's decorated and everything would be that the beam of seat of Christ, we will be rewarded for, our, for the works we allowed him to do. Now, what those works are going to be, I don't know. We talk, they talk about crowns. They talk about rewards. Jesus said that you know, he was going to reward the good servants with responsibility over cities. Uh, so there might literally be, and I think there will be, heaven's going to be much different than what we expect. Uh, God created us to work. I believe in heaven there will be work. Now, the thing about work is, if you're really doing what God has called you to do, do you really work? You know, part, of, part of why God created a day of rest was because Adam and Eve had life so easy that they had to tell them, at least one day a week you have to stop and pay attention to me. And I've been very fortunate over my life. I've had several jobs where I didn't really feel like I was working. And it was nice. I got paid to go do what I like to do anyway. Now, I can imagine that's what heaven is going to be. You're going to have a job that you're going to enjoy so much that it's like God will have to remind you, okay, come, come up here and spend some time with me, you know, because you're, you're working really good. But that work when you're doing God's work is so rewarding that it's like I'm just enjoying myself. I'm having fun. 
and God put a time and said, okay, Adam and Eve, one day a week, you know, we got a day of rest. I want you to come and rest. You know, as uh, Dale Tackett said in the, in the Truth Project, he goes, God said, okay, quit playing. One, you know, one day a week, you got to quit playing and worship God and spend time with God and quit, quit playing at what you're doing. Adam and Eve had a real tough job. They were a gardener in a perfect garden. No weeds, nothing dying, and they were gardeners. Now, I'm not quite sure what it would mean to garden a perfect garden. I think I want a tree right over there. So we're going to go plant a tree right over there. And I want to put some flowers over here, and none of them, none of them ever died. None of them ever, ever uh, had weeds in them. You know, no, yeah, no, no watering, no drought, you know, a perfect, perfect uh, no, no fertilizer needed. And they were the gardeners for a perfect garden. So when we get to heaven, we're going to have that kind of thing. Whatever work we have will be the perfect job, and it'll be more like playing than a job. And heaven will be better than the Garden of Eden. Will be better than that. Anything in this world is going to be just a picture of what was in heaven. So, and this is where we're at with this, is God has promised us, as his children, eternal life in a paradise that we can't picture, you know. And even as we think about this, you know, I think about how much God has put into this world. And we're only now discovering things. You know, we, we see the beauty around us, and then now we're starting to take pictures of things in other types of light, ultraviolet light and infrared light. And we're finding out that God put beauty in those lights for us to discover right before the end of the world. And he put all that stuff in to be there for all from the beginning. And we're only now discovering how to see some of the other beautiful things that he's put out there. Knowing how God has worked. What will heaven be? Infinitely more. Infinitely more than anything that he's put here. And there is so much beauty and so much peace here. Now, yes, there's lots of evil because it's fallen. Lots of destruction because it's fallen. We have a polluted world because of sin. Now, we have a polluted world because of lots of other things, too, but we have a polluted world. We have a polluted DNA that is becoming more and more corrupt as time goes on. We have sin that's getting deeper and deeper as time goes on. And we're headed very quickly to judgment and the end of all things, which I think is very close. I would like to be wrong, but I think we're very close to the end of all things. I don't think we have more than 100, 150 years, no matter what. But we are sitting so close. The, the rapture could happen any time, and the church could be taken away, and then things really get bad on earth. And people really, during the tribulation time, will think that they're, going, that they're living in hell, and it's going to feel like hell to them, but it's not hell. It will be bad. Don't get me wrong. It will be bad. It will be very bad. 66% of the population of the world will die during the tribulation period. Two out of every three people will be dead during that period of time. But it still won't be hell. Satan will have a leash on him during the tribulation period. He cannot kill all the people. And then, at the end of the tribulation period, he is put into 
hell for a thousand years to be released for one last hurrah at the end of a perfect reign on this world. And he'll raise an army to go against Jesus. I don't know how he raises an army but after a thousand years, but men are, men are always forgetful, always. And he will raise up an army to go against God. And he will lose just with a spoken word. And then we'll have the judgment, white throne judgment coming. And then all of this world, all of this universe will be consumed, as Peter tells us, by fire. I think it's going to be a wonderful fire. God is just going to say, okay, I've held the atoms together for 7,000 years. I'm going to let them go. And it's a very amazing thing because I used to have really, I asked a lot of teachers, well, how does an atom stay together? Then he goes, nuclear force. I go, what's nuclear force? We don't know. The atoms should not hold together. If you've ever tried to put two, magnet, two magnets together on the same pause, you can't put them together. No matter how strong you are, the magnetic push against it pushes it away. Like charges repel. And our atoms in the center of them have positive charges that should not hold together. God literally holds them together. And it says so in the Bible. Everything is held together by God. You know, I am sure glad that God doesn't get forgetful. You know, I think I gotta go get dinner. Like, whoops, I just forgot about the world. <laughs> it fell apart because I forgot about it. I am glad that God does not get forgetful. Because he literally holds the atoms together. Because they should not hold together. The electrons should not stay in the in the above the atoms. They should be crashing down into the atoms because again, go back to a magnet. If you take positive and positive try to put it together you cannot put them together and if you try to keep the elect the opposite sides apart especially on a strong magnet you can't keep them keep them apart and our atoms should not exist it's an amazing thing when you talk to these scientists that try and try to get them to explain why does an atom even exist and they can't it is being held together by they go nuclear force and what and you go well what's nuclear for we don't know Okay. I like the answers of scientists half the time. You know, we don't know. Someday we'll figure it out. Uh, well, okay, God tells us. Well, but we don't like that answer. We can't have, we can't have God involved in this. Uh, so all of these things going on that we say God has a special place for us as his children, and he has a place of eternal punishment for those who reject him. And that's about what I wanted to cover today, the eternity of of that judgment just just verse seven that's all i planned on doing tonight because i was going to talk about the eterni eternality of hell because this is a big question when we deal with people there are many cults many religions that don't believe in eternal punishment and there are christian groups that don't believe in eternal punishment so what happens to the people they just believe that either they're that they mostly they either they all go to heaven no matter what where they get annihilated. If you don't go to heaven, you just cease to exist. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. No, there's nothing. Everything says there's going to be eternal. Eternal life or eternal death in the second death. One or the other is what the Bible teaches. And they can't get around it. They'll go, well, nowhere in there does it say eternal death. Well, I just read, I only read three of the 14 verses that I was going to talk about. And that's not even all of them. 
14 times we're told that it is eternal. And it is going to be punishment. Not any kind of leisurely life in hell. Eternal punishment or eternal blessings for those who are his. Now, that is something that we need to understand and that should motivate us to share with, with our loved ones, our family. Uh, and this is the scary thing. If, if the idea of hell does not motivate us to share with our family, there's something wrong with us. There really is. If I can't share with my family, what am I saying? I wish you go to hell? I don't like you enough. I really think you deserve hell. Granted, they probably do because they're rejecting Jesus. But that's not my call. I don't want to see anybody go to hell. As I said, I just suffer from gout, which is really severe pain, and that's bad enough. I don't want to see somebody go to hell. And I don't want anybody to suffer from gout. Because gout is miserable. But it's nothing like hell. You know, I'd go to heaven suffering gout if I, to avoid hell. Because that would be nothing compared to what hell is going to be like. Are we in a place where we recognize what hell is? It is so awful that we should not even think about anybody needing to go there or, want, or should be going there. Even God himself does not desire that any goes to hell. He went and died on this world so he could give the offer of eternal salvation to everybody because his desire is for them to accept that salvation. Now he knows that many will not. Now, and that's got to be, how hard would that be to know that people are going to reject your gift over and over and over again? And know it. Know that they're going to reject. And still offering, even though they're going to reject. So that he can be the righteous judge and say, you rejected life. You rejected every opportunity. And you did not accept it. And he's going to make sure that everybody's had that chance somehow. Because people realize that they're, they're not perfect. Even if they don't know the Ten Commandments, it's not hard to convince somebody that they're not perfect. And I've gone through this, you know, how many of us can't even keep our own uh, rules? I am not going to do such and such. And the next thing we know, we're doing just what we said we're not going to do. We can't even keep our own rules, much less God's rules or the government's rules, or society's rules. We can't even keep our own rules, and we know that we are guilty of those. And if nothing else, God will say, well, you didn't, you can't, you didn't follow any rules. You didn't even follow your own rules. You're guilty, and people know that they're guilty. So this is going to be what happens out there, that God has got a place of eternal life or eternal death. Yeah. And that's kind of a hard thing to say because even that eternal death is not death in the way we're thinking about it. It is eternal punishment. An eternal life of misery is that second death. And we have a choice in front of us. And everybody else has a choice in front of them. And we really do need to love people enough to at least give them a chance to not go to hell. This is the most important thing. Why are we praying for the lost in this church? Because I don't want to see anybody go to hell. I am like God in that aspect. I don't want to see anybody go into eternal punishment before God. 
and I and I have witnessed to lots and lots of different people and many of them have rejected some have come but many have rejected that message why mostly because they don't want to surrender the what fun they think they're having in this world well have all the fun you want but there is a consequence to that fun you know and there's to end with this you know there's been a statement made and I agree with it this world is as close to hell as Christians are ever going to come and it's not hell but the sad thing is for those going to hell this is as close to heaven as they're ever going to get and this definitely isn't heaven but when they get to hell they're going to look longingly back to this world and say, can I just get back to that world? I used to think it was terrible and miserable, but I want to go back there. And that's not an option that they will have. You know, we need to really understand this world is a testing place for us to make a decision for God or against God. And those in this room have made a decision for God. But we want to be able to understand that our job is to go out and help others, at least here, the gospel message because that's what's important they've got to make a decision for God because that's an eternal decision Lord we ask you to bless our time as we leave today Lord give us confidence that you are who you say you are and that you are the only way that we can have you and, and know you give us that wonderful peace that you promised to give us a peace that passes understanding that we are saved and that we are yours and we just thank you in Jesus name amen Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please today make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona. 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.